So if you're, if you're just tuning in, if you're just catching us right now, if this is your first Sunday joining us, welcome, welcome, welcome. That's my nephew right there, and he's the man waving at me. Um, welcome. My name is Caleb Lynch. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are right in the middle of a series. We're, we're three weeks in now, and uh, we're excited about it. We think it has some, some real power for this time, and the series is called Restart, Restart, and we're, we're taking some time to pull out some nuggets from the book of Philippians. We're not going verse by verse like we've done at other times. We're just pulling out some significant nuggets that we really think speak to the climate of what's going on right now. And we're hoping that this series is a reminder, just like what we think we see Paul doing with the church of Philippi, that this is a reminder about what is true of those new hearts that we now have after we've put our trust in Jesus, right? So, so we, we believe um, that something changed the very moment we trusted in Jesus and that now there is this new life that flows out of us. And so we're calling it uh, a pattern of new life. When you see our title screen, a pattern of new life. And so we're, we're wanting to be reminded of what Paul is teaching this fragile church who it seems like maybe they're going through some similar things as to what we're going through. And he just keeps reminding them of what's true. So that's what, that's what our hope is, and in doing so, that it would motivate us and move us and shape us uh, to be people that have uh, a gift to give this, um, this world. If you have your Bibles, we will uh, stick to today, to primarily Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is a verse many of us have heard many times. I hope that in slowing down and really taking our time to go through it, there's some real significance that can come out of it. I'm going to read it. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Come on now, right? That's, that's some stuff there. I, I believe that if this was all we had were these verses, we would have a pretty clear understanding of the reality of this guy named Jesus Christ and what he did and what he came to do and how he showed up. Pretty powerful. Um, you guys know the term theology, right? Like it's the study of God. Theo, God, ology, the study of. Um, there's another term called Christology, which is the study of Christ, right? Who is this Jesus Christ? 
And most scholars, most biblical scholars will tell you that these verses that we just read um, are the most significant, clear Christology of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. These verses that we just read are the most clear depiction of who Jesus Christ is, what he did, how he came, why he came, and what it looks like. Pretty, pretty incredible. So maybe like highlight all of this and remember it and keep it with you. This is significant stuff. Uh, other, another important thing to note is that um, scholars use this, these verses as the uh, kenosis uh, verses, and this kenosis, this word kenosis is this idea uh, of emptying. The word is to empty. And, and these are the verses where we get this reality uh, of God um, in some crazy way that I can't even fully define. I might try to define some of it here in a bit. But somehow he was able to become fully human, remain fully God, but he was able to put aside and empty himself of his deity in some ways. It's really an astounding thing. And this is the verse where we're, we're able to define some of that term of kenosis. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? We'll get, we'll get into that here a little bit more in a second. The other thing you need to know is that many scholars believe that this section in Scripture was one of the very first hymns that was ever sung by the early church. So in the first century, um, this would have been a hymn that they would sing. And how we've translated it into English um, it doesn't carry much of that poetic, musical feel to it, but this was actually a hymn. And they don't know if Paul wrote it or if he's just quoting it, um, but they do believe that this was absolutely one of the first hymns that we ever have recorded. It's kind of a cool, cool thing to think about, uh, what the wording is and what they're declaring as truth. Questions? Concerns? Okay. You guys with me still? Okay, let's get into it now. So if you have your Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll stay with it. We're just going to snag the first couple of verses, so one and two. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See that word, um, if, so if? That word if um, is not a question word. He's not saying, is this true? It's, a, it's much more of an assumption word. It's probably better translated to the word since. Some of your versions might even say that, that you're looking at. But he's saying, I already know that these things are true. Since these things are true. It's, it's an assumption word. So that helps us as we're reading this. Um, the word accord, not even sure what accord is. I know of an accordion. Um, no, it's a beautiful word. It's this word for agreement. It's this word for harmony. It's this word for consistency. Um, it's this beautiful heart attitude aligned with um, kind of agreement of, of heart is, is kind of a, a great way to put it. Um, the word mind that you see, it gets repeated twice uh, he says, be of the same mind. This, this word, we often use it and we say that it means opinion. Be of the same opinion about things. That's not actually what this word means. It's very uh, similar to the other phrases, accord, um, be of the same love. It's this, it's this attitude word. It's an attitude of heart is what he's saying. When he's talking about be of the same mind, he's not saying you have to agree on every single opinion. He's saying, no, let your heart attitude align. Let me, 
Can you decipher a little bit of the difference in that? Um, what I love about how he is setting these verses up is he's doing a really interesting thing. He's saying, I know some things to be true about you. And I don't know if he's gotten this report back about the church or if he just knows these things are true because he knows what new life looks like flowing out of a believer. But he goes, he goes through this list. He says, look, I know this is happening. I know this is happening. I know this is happening. And so now he's, now he's transitioning. He goes, and if those things are happening, complete it. Here's the other things that should naturally be flowing out of you. So it's a really neat way of setting it up. It's like he's doing exactly what we talked about um, in, in that first week of that this is that song of reminder of who you are. So he's saying, look, I know these things are true about you. And because those things are true about you, here's what I know also wants to come out and play. So it's a really cool way of setting it up. Let's keep going. This is verse three. Do nothing... That word nothing is really an interesting word if you, if you extrapolate it out in the Greek. It actually means nothing. <laughs> ha, ha, ha sign maybe or something. I don't know. Good, good one. All right. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, circle that word humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This, um, this verse is one of those verses that sounds really good, and we all nod our head, and yet, um, this is like one of the most difficult realities in Scripture. Like, if you think about this, this is like, who, who lives this way? Bill Foles lives that way and a few others, but no. But here's, here's the thing. You guys know this word humility, and you know the opposite of it. It would be the word pride, right? Pride and humility are kind of on opposite sides of the camp. Um, I believe that pride is the oldest, we'll call it sin, in all of the universe. It's the oldest thing it's the oldest sin in all of creation, all of the universe. It's the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's the very thing that got Adam and Eve kicked out of paradise. I love, love how C.S. Lewis puts it. Um, he says, Pride is the chief cause of misery in every nation and family since the world began. Pride is the chief cause of misery in every nation and family since the world began. I wonder if we're seeing any pride in our world right now. I just wish these verses were more relevant, you know what I mean, to what we're doing right now. <laughs> Let's talk about this word humility for a second. I want to be really clear for a moment. Um, this, this is not terms. He's saying, look, think of others as more highly than yourself. And this is not, um, these are not terms saying, woe is me. Let me, let me explain it a little further. Um, there are many that will teach you in verses like this that the way to esteem another is you have to see yourself um, poorly. 
You have to think less of yourself. You have to see yourself as, as, as a no good. That, that couldn't be further from the truth of the new covenant, the new gospel message of Jesus Christ. Listen, um, you, you, uh, you don't do anyone any favors by denying the reality that the spirit of the living God is within you. That he has made you pure, that he has made you right, that he has made you good, that he's made you holy, that he's made you righteous. By um, removing that reality from yourself is not, not doing anyone any favors. Humility, what we're going to learn in a second, humility is not as much about removing self as it is about adding something else. Humility is this interesting thing. It's, it's not about, um, you've heard the phrase, and, and it, it gets thrown around a lot, it's not about thinking less of yourself, right? Like, it's not about, that's, that's not humility, it's thinking, um, I'm, I'm a no good, I'm nothing. Humility is just happening to think about yourself a little bit less. That's, that's humility, right? And you've heard that phrase, you, you hear that get thrown about, but that's probably a more accurate depiction of what we're going to see as these verses unfold. So stay with me on that thought, because we're, we're going to get a more clear description of that here in a second. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember how he's talking about that one mind? This is the mind we're talking about. I, I don't work for the English Standard Version Bible, um, but this is my appeal to you that it's the very best, because this translation of this verse, I think, in my opinion, uh, is the most accurate depiction of what this verse's intended thought was. I want to read from a, another couple versions, and I want to point out a little specific in it that I'm seeing. So in the NIV, it reads, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In the King James Version, it says, let the mind be in you, let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, the NASB, American Standard Version. And then the NLT, the New Living, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Um, what I love about the ESV is how they are phrasing it. They're saying, look, have this mind amongst yourselves which has been bestowed on you through Christ Jesus. It is a gift of the Spirit of the living God within you. The other ones are saying, look at Jesus and do as he did. And this one is saying, no, listen to me, you actually have been given that mind by Jesus Christ. And, and the, th the reason I like it so much is because I believe it's consistent with what we read through uh, much of Paul's other writings. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? This is a beautiful, this verse 5 is Paul's intro into what is some of the most significant words about Jesus Christ. This is how he starts it, and then now we get into the meat of it. So here we go. Verse 6. Who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Isn't that crazy? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form... He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's get back to that word humility. Um, Do you see the phrase in here? Start of verse 7, but he emptied himself, how? By taking. Right? It's, this is, this, you guys this, get this. This is super critical in our understanding of who Jesus was, our epistemology of understanding who he was, our understanding of what humility looks like uh, in the person of Jesus, that spirit that's in us. Look, he didn't, he didn't get rid of something, Right? It doesn't say that he got rid of it. He says, look, he emptied himself how? By adding something. Isn't this interesting? He's adding humility. He's adding servanthood. And in doing so, he is, in a sense, pulling away a little bit from that deity. And I'm not saying it perfectly because I don't even fully understand how he did it. But there is beauty in understanding that humility is not necessarily getting rid of all the good about who you are so that you can think higher about someone else. No, it's adding this spirit of love and servanthood. Does that make sense, that kind of the difference there? Really significant when we understand the person of Jesus. This word form says he existed in the form of God. This word form is this kind of like a really interesting word because it's, it's this present tense, but it's this idea of ongoing, always has been, always will. And so this is a clear description that Jesus Christ has always and will always be God. While he was on earth in the form of a human, he has always and will always be God. Fully God. It's significant. Um, and, then, and then there's the other piece that says, but he took on the likeness or the form of a human being. Do you remember, um, you remember the disciples? They're on the boat one day with Jesus, and there's this raging storm, and Jesus is sleeping. And they wake him up, and they're like, what the heck, man? Why are you sleeping? He's like, don't you, don't you care that we're about to die? And then Jesus stands up, and he walks to the edge of the boat, and he looks out on the storm, and he says, be still. And it, and it does. And what do the disciples say? They look at him and they go, this man is not like any man we've ever seen. I know a lot of men, and this homeboy is a little different. Right? Like, like I've never seen a cloud and waves listen to the voice of another human being. I've never seen a cripple stand up and walk just by him saying, get up. I've never seen someone regain sight because he, he spit in the mud and wiped it on the guy's eyes. Like, this man, he, he, he's a man. Like, he, he's in the form and the likeness of man. He, he's not like any man I've ever seen. So, um, we have to hold these two realities in our understanding of who Jesus is. We have to be convinced that he is fully God and he is fully man. There are many that will say he couldn't have been God. There's just no stinking way he could be God. We know he was a real person. We have, we have historic data that says he actually walked the earth. But to be God, there's no way. And as believers, we, we have to hold both. Some will say, yeah, 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 I, I, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how it all works. But I do believe he was God and he was man. I mean, he did some crazy things that were incredible. Only God could do. I do believe he was in, in some ways both. But the part I struggle with, what some would say is, 
I don't like the whole blood deal. Right? Like it almost feels like a cult that you guys believe. This blood shedding, this cross, this it just feels too like, no, this isn't this isn't legit. Listen to me. There can be no Jesus Christ without the blood of Jesus Christ. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There can be no Savior without the intercession. There can be no victory without the payment for darkness. For God to be good and just, all evil must be paid for. And there has to be a payment. There has to be a covering. And so you cannot have the gospel. You cannot have the humility of God without having the blood that was shed. Um, some will say you, you can open up your Bible anywhere you want and it will bleed. Have you ever heard that set phrase before? You can open up your Bible anywhere you want and it will bleed. And that is the reality. Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin and God slaughters an animal and creates a covering for them in the skins. Genesis 22. Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice his son and um, Jesus says, I, God says, I see you. And I've got a ram for you, and, and I have the sacrifice for you. Exodus 12, Passover, the blood being shed over the doorpost to save the little boys. Leviticus 5, the sin offering, the sprinkling on the day of atonement. Psalm 22, a poetic description of the cross. Isaiah 53, a clear depiction of the slain lamb. All the gospels, all the recordings of Jesus depict the cross. Even at the very end of your Bible, you turn to the last couple of pages, you have this book called Revelation. And John, it's, he's getting a vision of, of the future and of heaven, and he, he says these words. He says, this is in Revelation 13. I saw the lamb that was slayed at the foundation of the earth. The narrative has always been Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb since the foundation of the earth. But my favorite is Revelations 5. This is what he says. This is, this is John. He says, Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to the David's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. But listen to these next words. And he says, Then I looked up and I saw a lamb that looked as though it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing. Isn't that astounding? He says, Look, the, the lion of Judah. And, and then he looks up and he goes, Oh my gosh, no, he, he actually is a lamb that is slain. You want to know what's an interesting fact? The only thing, the only thing in heaven that you will see that is man-made, the only thing in heaven that you will see is man-made are two holes in the hands of your Savior. He carried those with him to heaven. Like, this has been the narrative and the plan from the beginning. You can't have it any other way. Even the gospel writers, listen to this, this is astounding. So Jesus Christ was alive for 33 and a half years, right? He lived on this planet 33 and a half years. And the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the, the record of his life. Um, and so if you were to combine all the passages that talk about the first 30 years of Jesus, his first 30 years from childhood until adulthood, 
it would only contain four chapters in all of the 90 chapters that records Jesus' life. Isn't that crazy? Only four of them would record anything from his first 30, 30 years. The last three and a half years are 85 chapters worth of information about Jesus. And 29 of those focus on the last week of his life. And 13 of those deal with the last day of his life. And 579 verses focus on the last 24 hours of his life. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that astounding? This humility, this, this one who showed up to surrender himself over for our good, that's the narrative of Jesus Christ. That's the narrative of this good news. And he came using a currency that changed humanity, and it was called humility. And Paul is saying, look, stop for a second. You have been given the gift of humility through the person of Jesus Christ. The very thing that caused him to do what he did and to save humanity for good is the very thing that you actually have within you. Isn't that astounding? Let's keep, let's keep reading. This is verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, the name that has been given to him, it's, it's not Jesus. There were a lot of Jesuses at that time. Um, the name that is given to him is the name Lord. I just got a text message from Bill Thrall while I'm preaching. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> he should know better. Um, let, me, let me say this. The great somebody, through humility, became nobody to defeat the pride of someone who thought he was the next great somebody. And in doing so, he proved to all the other somebodies that they were nobodies. But if they would choose to believe in the great somebody, they would become the greatest someones that they had ever become. They would have the power, they would have victory, they would have the spirit of that great somebody within them. And they would have his greatest gift, which is love manifested through humility. Another way to say it, our homeboy Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This gift of humility, you guys, is yours. It has been given to you. And it is the exact gift that was used to reshape and redesign the course of human history. Isn't that crazy? The, the, the one thing that God used to alter the history of the world, love manifested through humility, has now been given to you and I as new believers as a gift for humanity. I'll say it a different way than Paul said it as he's reminding this church. I'll say it this way. Unleash it. Let, let it out. 
Let it fly. Let it play. Let it move. I'm telling you right now, it is the currency that works. It is. We, we watch what pride does. It, pride feels like it should elevate, right? Doesn't pride feel like if I, if, I can, if I can just pick myself up and make myself better and be above everyone else, well, then I can do great things, right? No, it's actually the thing that destroys. Humility shown to us by the God of the universe. I, I'm going to take his word for it, by the way is the currency that he chose to use, and you have it. Unleash it. I'm so weary, and I'm so tired of the arrogance that I see in our world and that I see in myself. I'm, I'm like super tired of it. Like, it's, it's, it's beating me up. I'm, I'm so tired of everyone fighting for their rights. I'm so tired of everyone looking out for their own reputation. And I think the reason it's beating me up so much is because I see it in myself. I can see myself wanting to pick a fight, wanting to be right, wanting to prove the other side wrong. I want to be done with it doesn't work. It doesn't help. It just makes each other angry with each other. It just divides us. And he's saying, no, stop. Just love each other. Think of someone else first. Say, think of going, hey, you matter in my life. And I, I, want, I want to move towards you in love. I want to put aside my agenda for a second. And I want to add humility towards you in love. That's how I want us to live, you guys. That's what I want this church to be about. I'm so done with the arrogance and the pride that is destroying this world. I'm sick of it. And there is a solution, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he indwells you and I who have put our trust in Jesus, and he has given us something that is more powerful than like anything else out there, and it's called love manifested through humility. And we see it right here, and it couldn't be more clear. It's, um, it's the very reason that, like, 47 years ago, the guy I just got a text message from, Bill Thrall, said, um, hey, we're, we're going to take communion every time we gather. Every time we come together as a church, we're going to take communion. And if you've never taken communion before, literally, here's what it is. We're taking a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread, and this represents the body broken and the blood shed of Jesus Christ on behalf of all humanity. And we take it every time because we want to remember and we want to say this is the focus of what we believe is true and where the power lies, right here. And so we do it every Sunday. And so we're going to do it again this Sunday. And I want us to, to do it in this way this time. We'll still take it like normal. But as you're taking it, will you, will you just thank the Lord? Will you just thank Jesus and say thank you for teaching us a way of life that actually has the power to change hearts and minds? And thank him for the gift of his humility. Thank him for that. Celebrate that. Declare that in the way you communicate with him during this time. We're going to worship and we're going to take communion together, but let me pray for it. Lord, we love you. You're the God of the universe, and yet you allowed for a broken race to hang you from a cross. But you didn't waste it. You used it to conquer evil. 
And as proof, even now you are in heaven and people are worshiping your name in heaven and you carry with you the scars of your humility. Lord, that's astounding. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.